to the sanctuary at the front. And the rest of us can open to Romans chapter 10. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you should find it on page 1120. Page 1120, Romans chapter 10. We're just focusing on verse 15, but I'm going to read the whole chapter. So hear the word of the Lord, Romans chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I ask, Did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the world, into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So I'm going to talk to you about feet. Uh, Feet are lowly. Feet are not the favorite part of the person. They're not the uh, attractive part of the, the human anatomy. In the East, even today, to expose the sole of your foot to a person is a great insult. 
And uh, so feet are, are not the attractive part. And even as we, uh, if we're familiar with the Bible, we know that there are, there are mentions of feet in the Bible that give this impression that feet are not the attractive part. I'm thinking of places like uh, Psalm 60, uh, where, where God declares his ownership of the world and his ownership of the nations. And uh, first he speaks of the nation that, that confesses him as God. Gilead is mine, and Manasseh is mine. This is God's people. Ephraim is my helmet, and Judah my scepter. And then he speaks of those who serve other gods, and uh, it gives a little bit of an insult to them. Moab is my wash basin. Upon Edom I toss my sandal. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. So the sandal, the place where you throw your shoes, you know, that's not the, the place where you want to be. Uh, it's, it's an insult. Of course, you know when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, it was a sign of great humility and of great service because it was known, it, it, it was understood in that time that the only person who was supposed to wash the dirty feet that had been out on the dirt and dust and mud roads in the sandals, the only person fit for that task was the lowest slave on the rung, the lowest rung. And, uh, and so Jesus took that lowly job of attending to feet. Feet are lowly. Um, so, you know, there's that place where Paul talks about different parts of the body. In Romans chapter 12, he's, he's using an illustration of, of the human body to talk about the people of God as the body of Christ and uses that metaphor. And he says there are different parts in the body. Some are more presentable than others. And, of course, he must be talking about the feet are the less presentable parts which are treated with special modesty. And so you kind of hide your feet. You don't want to draw attention to your feet. Uh, feet are lowly. They're kind of embarrassing. But boy, feet sure come in handy. And we really depend on them. We take them for granted. Uh, you know, the way that we, that we look down on them, you'd think that we didn't need them. But the, it's, it, it, God has arranged things so that the most lowly parts are the most indispensable. You can't get anywhere without feet. And so, uh, feet are beautiful. Feet are beautiful. That's what Romans 10:15 says. And uh, I want to take this idea that Paul is giving, how beautiful are the feet of those who go with the gospel, who bring good news. And I want to expand this idea a little bit, kind of bring out what I think Paul is driving at, why feet are beautiful, why the feet of missionaries are beautiful. And uh, before I do that, I want us just to, to set the, 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 the little tiny verse that we're looking at in context in the book of Romans. So I want us to kind of get oriented in the book of Romans before we uh, narrow down on that verse and, uh, and talk about beautiful feet. So what's happening in the book of Romans here in chapter 10? The first eight chapters of Romans, Paul has explained his gospel and he's applied his gospel. He's told all about this wonderful good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. This righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And so he's explained that and then he came to that mountain peak of Romans chapter 8 which just uh, speaks of these sublime, wonderful things of, of the grace of God and the assurance that we have in Christ. <clears throat> And then in chapter 9, he starts to deal with a problem. 
Because people will have listened to Paul and said, you know, Paul, that's wonderful, it's amazing, it's a great message, it really sounds compelling. How come the Jews don't believe it? How come this God, who's doing these wonderful things for all the nations, how come his very own people seem to reject this message? And so Paul begins in Romans chapter 9 with his answer. And the first, the first answer he gives is, is Romans 9, the first part of his answer, the theme of Romans 9. The reason they don't believe is because of God's election. God chooses. He picks who he wants. And not everybody who is a child of Abraham is really one of God's people. But it depends on God's choice, not on people. Oh boy, that's a, you know, a really satisfying answer. You know, it just you know, helps me to sort everything out and just put my heart at rest. But if, if God is good, if God is God, then of course that's, that's the ultimate resting place is in God's decision. But then in chapter 10, Paul gives the other side of the coin. And he explains that there's also another, another way of looking at all this. And the reason that many of the Jews are not part of God's people is that they have rejected. They have themselves turned away. That they themselves have elected. They have elected a, a, a poorer choice. And that they have not received the good news. And so the responsibility rests on them for the decisions that they have made and for the way that they have uh, been blind and rejected uh, the grace that was offered to them. So in Romans 10, uh, Paul begins explaining how his heart goes out to his people. Paul is himself a Jew, and his heart goes out for his fellow countrymen because he wants them to be saved. He wants them to know this wonderful grace of salvation, and the reason that they don't receive it is because they're trying to be justified by their own works. They're trying to be good enough. They're trying to, to earn it. And they're, they're too proud to admit that they're needy, humble, dependent people in need of compassion. But they want to be people who are able to pull themselves up and, and present themselves before God. They're able to keep the law. They're able to be good enough. They're able to meet the standard. And so they take that approach and they miss the righteousness that God has given freely in Jesus Christ and the way of righteousness that comes through faith. It's not by effort, it's not by human works, but it's by grace through faith. And so there's this wonderful message of grace for the needy, of compassion for those who are lost. And those who are proud miss the message. And all too many of Paul's countrymen fell into that category of being too proud and missing the message. And so in the midst of this discussion, Paul uh, quotes Isaiah with these little words, and he says, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So what is Paul talking about? Why are feet beautiful? Why are the feet of these missionaries beautiful? Their, their feet are beautiful for three reasons. They, their feet are beautiful because of what they bring. Missionaries' feet are beautiful because of what they bring. And missionaries' feet, secondly, are beautiful because of what they cross, what obstacles they pass through, uh, what hindrances they face, what they cross in order to bring uh, the good news. And then missionaries' feet are beautiful, thirdly, because of where they come from, because of their starting point, because of what they've left behind. 
So missionaries' feet are beautiful. And um, so first, uh, missionaries' feet are beautiful because of what they bring. And what a missionary is sent to bring is a treasure, the greatest treasure ever found. Jesus tells the story of the man who was digging in a field and he found, he came across a treasure of great value. And when he found it, he of course hid it and he went off and he sold everything he had, everything he could lay hands on because that treasure he had found was worth more than anything he could find. And so he sold it all so that he could just buy that field and be the owner of that treasure. Or he tells the story of the the merchant who went in search of of, uh, valuable pearls and he found one of great price and went and sold everything he had to buy it. And so the gospel is a treasure so precious that if you had everything you could possibly lay your hands on, it wouldn't compare. And it would be better to lose it all if you could only have the gospel. So uh, the gospel is a great treasure. And missionaries bring such a great treasure. So Paul, when he was uh, leaving, leaving this life, as he was an, an aged man and uh, writing to his protege, his, his assistant, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he tells him, guard the good deposit entrusted to you because the gospel is a wonderful, precious, valuable deposit. It's a great treasure uh, to have. And so here's Paul uh, talking about this treasure and about how valuable it is, but, but you see what, why it's so valuable. Uh, if, you, if you go back into the, in, into the original context, he's pulling words out of Isaiah. Okay, so when, when someone quotes the Old Testament, it's always good to go back into the original context and kind of get the point. You know, what, what was the point of these words? How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. It was in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is writing about a people who had been judged, the people of God who had been unfaithful. They had broken covenant with God. And God had finally poured out all of his curses upon them. He had been threatening them. He had been calling them back but they wouldn't come back. They persisted in their ways. And finally, they lost their nation. They lost their blessing. They lost the temple. They lost the covenant. They lost their name. They're off in exile. It's, uh, everything has come apart. They've lost everything, and they're under a terrible curse. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Good news that there's a second chance that God is still concerned with people who have gone against His ways, who have broken covenant with Him, who have defiled themselves and who have been unfaithful over years and years and generations and generations. He's still concerned. He won't give up on His people. He keeps pursuing them. And so it's, it's this wonderful good news of compassion, a wonderful message for Israel to hear, for them to remember when they will go into exile. And so Paul is saying, even today, in Paul's day, there's good news that God still cares about people who've been stubborn and rebellious and haven't listened to his word. And oh, even today, brother, sister, it's still a message for us that it's good news that God still gives a second chance, that he has compassion on those who have wandered away, who have squandered their inheritance, who have turned their backs on God, who've sinned in in so many ways they don't even know what they've done. 
And God is still a God of mercy and compassion. What a wonderful treasure. What a wonderful message to bring on feet. Feet bring that message. Feet plod along. Feet enable that missionary to get there or to get to us with that good news. It's ordinary, common feet that do all of that wonderful work. Oh, how precious are those feet. So it's a message of faith that comes to us, not a message of works, a message of compassion through faith. You know, when I worked for, for 12 years as a missionary in, in East Africa, I had two, two roles, I had two hats that I wore. And one was the, uh, you know, the evangelist and discipler hat, and I was training church leaders in evangelism and discipleship. And I would go out with church leaders to do evangelism in, in areas all over this wide district of Meru in Kenya. And uh, the other hat that I wore was the, the farmer hat. I was, uh, you know, in Green Acres, there's that guy Hank, the, the county, uh, you know, that was me, you know, the, the county extension officer. You know, so I was, I was this um, agricultural consultant. So I, I majored in soil science in college. And, and, and so that's one, one of the things I was doing while I was in Africa. And people really appreciated the, the help I gave them in poultry raising and soil conservation and uh, you know, all kinds of agricultural things, helping to you know, secure and improve the food supply. And uh, that was very much appreciated. And, and people would, from time to time, even ask me to come and help. But I never heard a response to any of my agricultural outreach like I heard from one woman one day when we just sat with her and shared the gospel and then asked her, how is it? And she said, my heart feels like a person who has had a great meal. You can come anytime and talk to me about these things. And I never heard a response like that to, to, to the agricultural help that I gave in different places. Kenyans are wonderful people for expressing gratitude for, for uh, politeness and courtesy. They're a delightful people. But I never encountered a group of people who hung on every word and who, whose every eye was fixed on me for every moment until the day that I stood in the Meru prison with about 150 guys around me, all in their, you know, their prison pajamas, all barefoot, all seated on the concrete floor, jammed into one big room, and I had the opportunity to go to them and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Just, just fixed, hanging on every word. It's, it's amazing. It, you know, other kinds of things just don't grab people's hearts that way. There's nothing else that creates this soul hunger in people like the message of Jesus Christ. One day I was uh, teaching a seminar at a, at a church and a long day, I came home and I found somebody on my front porch who had been waiting for me for hours, a farmer. He had spent like a day's wages on public transport to come from his village up to the town where I lived because he had, he had found out where the missionary lives. And I'm wondering, okay, what does he want? He's after he wants to ask for money. He wants this, he wants that. Uh, so he's trying to explain what he wants. And uh, finally, I, I get what he's asking. And he says that he wants to know, how, he was thinking maybe I could tell him how he could be saved. Oh, you know, such a, such a heart hunger that, uh, you know, here's this guy coming all this distance to hear the good news. Uh, what an amazing thing. So the message 
of compassion is gold. The message that we've been given to carry is precious. And uh, whatever we can do to carry it, if it's plodding along with our feet, what beautiful feet those are that bring such a message, such good news. So missionary feet are beautiful feet because of what they bring. And secondly, missionary feet are beautiful feet because of what they cross. Because of what they encounter, what they, what they overcome in order to bring that wonderful message to us. So missionary feet are beautiful feet because of what they cross. Look uh, what Paul says in chapter 10, verse 18, where these feet have crossed, well, all of what they have crossed. Paul says, did Israel not hear? Of course they did. In verse 18, their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Paul is saying this message of faith in Jesus Christ has been carried to Jews everywhere in the far-flung world wherever they live. And Paul ought to know because he was the one who personally carried it to so many of those places. But what missionaries will cross for the sake of the gospel? Uh, it, it, It reveals a wonderful beauty and glory in their efforts, in the plodding efforts of their feet. Listen to what, how Paul describes the things that he put up with in his efforts to carry the good news. Second uh, Corinthians 6, starting with verse 3, Paul describes what he has crossed to bring the gospel to people. He says, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, in distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, and patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, Genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as... He goes on and on. So all the things, whatever it takes, whatever I encounter, whatever I face, I've got to cross through it because this gospel has to get across. Like the little train that could, you know, I think I can, I think I've got to get the toys to the other side of the mountain. You know, The gospel has to get to those who need to hear. And uh, whatever it is that we face, whatever we encounter, we've got to... We've got to take it to them. So we're driven, uh, driven to cross whatever we face. Um, look what Paul says in verse 14. Um, he talks, he, he traces this, this chain of what it, how the gospel gets to people. Uh, this is Romans 10, verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? So people have to go. People have to be driven to cross uh, whatever the obstacle. So I, I was in uh, Kenya uh, working there in this, this little town I described, Meru, a rural town. And... Um, I met this missionary. He was he just recently posted there in Assemblies of God missionary, Ben O'Dell, his wife Darlene. And, um, you know, when I met this guy, 
and uh, he, uh, you know, he wanted to get missionaries together into fellowship. He just thought it'd be great for for the different missionaries in town to, you know, spend some time together. And you know, that was something that a lot of us really w- uh, longed for and thought would be a, a wonderful thing. And so he he had us he had you know a bunch of us missionaries over to his house, and we had a great fellowship. Great guy. When I met him, I I, I saw man. You know this guy. He's he's got this lavish house. He he didn't just rent you know a house in town, but he rented you know the really nice place, and uh, you know he had to you know have hot and cold running everything and all the appliances. You know it was like a regular middle class American house. You know so lavish. You know right here in 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 uh, rural Kenya, and it just looked funny. And you know the car he drove was so fancy, and they got the piano in the house. You know the whole nine yards. You know the carpets and you know everything American. And you know you open the cupboard and there's canned soup in there. You know I just I said okay, I get it. This guy I understand. He's a cupcake. You know he's one of these missionaries who's just uh, just such a lightweight. And uh, so you know I, I, I was young and. You know, smart, and I knew everything, and of course, but but I, I was at least smart enough to keep my mouth shut. You know, he's older than I am, and so uh, you know, later on, you know, getting to know him and getting to know the, uh, you know, having the the fellowship together with the other missionaries, uh, I came to understand that the reason that Ben had a driver to drive him everywhere is because he was blind. He was legally blind, and the way that. Ben had lost his sight was from taking malaria medication. And, uh, you know, from living in some place where there was so much endemic malaria and and, uh, risking his life with that. And uh, so now he was in Meru because it was a place where there wasn't so much malaria. Well, anyway, um, so here's Ben. And, uh, you know, so my estimation of him went up uh, a big notch. But then... We learned about what was going on in Rwanda and the, the terrible killing and the genocide, the, the battling. You know, if you've seen Hotel Rwanda and the, the fighting between the Hutus and the Tutsis and, and the, you know, the bodies floating down the river and just the horrible things that were going on there. And what does Ben say? I've got to go. I've got to go to Rwanda. So, yeah, he and Darlene, they, they packed up and they, they got a, a transfer and their reassignment and... So they left us all sitting there in, you know, in our hardship area of Meru, you know, which was a nice place. And uh, he headed off to Rwanda, a very risky place at the time and uh, uncertain. And he's blind. So my, my estimation of him went, went way up a notch. But what is it that drives a guy? What is it that drives a missionary to do a thing like that? To cross these barriers, to put up with the things he puts up with. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news and uh, do whatever it takes to bring it. When I think of beautiful feet, I, I have to think of Sadhu Sundar Singh, a little quirky character out of, um, uh, I think it's early 20th century history, India. Grew up in the Punjab. Uh, everybody in the Punjab is named Singh, so he's Sundar Singh. A Sadhu is an Indian holy man, so uh, Sundar Singh became a Sadhu and uh, became... Uh, you know, he was, he was raised with a tremendous suspicion and hatred of Christianity. He used to burn Bibles and, you know, persecute the Christians and everything. Uh, but God reached his heart and transformed him. And uh, Sadhu Sundar Singh became a preacher. Now, usually, uh, the way someone becomes a preacher and a missionary is, uh, you know, in the context of a fellowship and a local church and these sorts of things. But 
God is God. And uh, Sudar, uh, Sadhu Sundar, Sundar Singh, God just called him. And he went off on his own and began going around preaching the gospel. And the thing is, uh, as, as a, a, a sadhu, he always went barefoot. So wherever he went, however far it was, whatever he had to cross, you know, he'd get there with his cut, bleeding feet. You know, the, the, the apostle with the bleeding feet. And uh, bring the good news wherever he went. Finally, he you know, crossed the mountains in his bare feet into Tibet and was never heard from again. So many threats on his life. So many times he was you know, all but killed. But uh, finally, he, he went off on one of his missions and never came back. Beautiful feet. The motive of compassion is, uh, is, is, is mighty. Mighty to drive people to go. The motive of compassion, the motive that comes from this gospel of grace is powerful. So missionary feet are beautiful because of what they bring, because of what they cross. And missionary feet are beautiful because of where they come from and uh, what they leave behind. Uh, you know, what, what, what missionaries leave behind is really not a big deal. You know, I, I read an article uh, before I went overseas, you know, someone describing, uh, you know, some missionary describing, you know, ah, people think that there's this great sacrifice when you become a missionary. And the title of the article was Leeks and Onions. And I was saying, yeah, you know, Egypt, uh, that is Israel, when they came out of Egypt, they were longing for the leeks and onions they used to eat back in Egypt, you know. But who, who wants leeks and onions, you know? It's so much better what God has provided for us in this new field where he's taken us. And we have wonderful joys and we have a life. And there are people around us. And, you know, that's the experience of, of missionaries I've met. I've never met a missionary who just slogged through life saying, oh, I'm sacrificing so much. I'm leaving behind so much. I've never, ever met a missionary like that uh, serving in any country, no matter how hard. You know, I think that what happens is you get used to life in the place you're in, and reality becomes the reality of people that you face. So, you know, when we were in Uganda and we'd be walking around at night at the school, uh, which was built up on the top of a hill, and we'd hear a gunfire down in the valley, um, you know, that was just normal. And didn't really think a whole lot. It wasn't real normal when they came into the school at night one night and killed the night watchman. But it was something that we all as a community experienced together. And so there was some sense of, of normalcy to it. You know, it's, when you step out of it and come back home, it seems really far out and bizarre and wild. But when you're there, it's, it's life. And so you don't feel like you're sacrificing something. It's sort of like uh, when I lived in Uganda, I read this article about um, people in Beirut. Uh, at the time, Beirut was this terrible city, you know, all the war going on and fighting constantly and all the things, uh, you know, people being killed and uh, just how they were used to it and how normal became a different thing. And they started to, you know, what, the, what they would say is, you're having people over for dinner, and uh, you're eating dinner, and then you, the shooting starts and everything out there, and you say, well, shall we uh, save dessert till after the ceasefire, or shall we just go ahead? Uh, it, it, normal just becomes what's, what you have. So missionary feet are beautiful not because uh, there's this great sacrifice in leaving things. I, you don't feel like you're sacrificing when you're a missionary. You're just doing a wonderful thing and you're, and you're leading a wonderful life and it's joyful. I realize that sacrifice can come. But, but what's beautiful about where missionaries come from is the fact that they're sent. 
there's someone sending them. There's someone behind them. There's someone loving them. That where they come from is they come from a community of love, a community moved by that compassion. And every missionary I know really treasures that support and that connection with a community back home that's loving them and supporting them and encouraging them. And so they go with, uh, you know, with a, a community of love behind them. I, I was really moved by this myself. You know, over uh, 12 years of serving overseas, I, I couldn't help but just thank God you know, for the way that our health was protected, my whole family and our welfare. And there were dangers and there were serious things that could have happened. We, we had a friend, a missionary, uh, who was killed in an auto accident. You know, we had other, other people, terrible things, you know, gunshots and, and things like this. But you know, I, I couldn't help but just thank God that he had heard prayers, that he had mercifully answered prayers for our health and our safety and our welfare. Um, you know, it, it, if you read the book of Job, you realize that bad things happen to good people, and, and I know that. You can't just read circumstances that way. But when I visited home, and I came to our home church back in Madison, Wisconsin, and saw the Wednesday night prayer meeting, and saw 100, you know, 50, 100 people gathered together, and praying, and praying for the church, and for the community, and for the state, and for the world, and praying for, uh, you know, needs in the congregation, and they would pray for missionaries by name. And, okay, who are the missionaries we're going to pray for this week? And, you know, spreading out the names and praying in groups. Ah, that was so encouraging. It would just make chills run up and down my spine. Because I'd realized that on a Wednesday night, now and then, those people are there and they're praying for me. And they're praying for people in Meru who don't know Christ to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They're praying for Christians in Meru who I'm working with, that they'll stand firm in the gospel, that they'll be fruitful and multiply in the good news and in the grace of, the grace of salvation. So what an encouragement to have uh, that family, to have that support and encouragement behind me. When I was in Africa, and uh, when I, whenever um, you know, I would get the opportunity, there was one thing I loved to brag about. And it was something that only I knew about, only I could see. It was invisible to everybody else. But it was my support team. I'm the only person who had the list. I'm the only person who knew who they all were and knew, knew how they were all connected to each other, because my wife and me, because we knew all these supporters, and they, they didn't know each other, and nobody else knew them. But I would brag about them, because someone could say, you know, oh, it's great that you've come over, and you've, you know, you've come, and you've done all this great work, and we're so appreciative. Anybody would ever say anything like that, which was rare. Uh, you know, they're wonderful, nice people, but, you know, what have I ever done? But, uh, but when they would say that, I could brag about, you know, it's because of these people. Who they can't find anything better to do with that dollar than to send it over here so that you can have you know, what you've gotten today. You know, isn't it wonderful how God works in people's hearts? How God puts compassion and, and puts that drive in his people's hearts so that they bring the good news uh, even over here. So I'd love to boast about my, my supporters to Africans. The fellowship of compassion is attractive. So, uh, when you see a person uh, step out of an airplane and kiss the tarmac, 
you know it's not because they love dirt or it's not because they love tarmac. So the Bible says the feet are beautiful, but it isn't that missionaries have nicer feet or that their feet look better or that their shoes are nice or what. They have good manicures, pedicures. No, but the point is that there's, there's something above and beyond and the only way, you know, when you, when you land in that, in that land where you love and you wanted to be there, when, when you see a person getting out of the airplane and kissing the tarmac, you know what they really mean is not they love tarmac, but oh, they love this country. And there's no way they can express their love. There's no way that they can put it across or put it into words or put it into action that makes any sense. So they kiss the very ground of the country in order to express that all that the country is is so great and so wonderful to them. They just can't contain it. And even the ground is, is, is lovely to them. Even the feet of people who bring the gospel are lovely. And the point is that, it's, that missions is so cool, that it's so awesome, it's so wonderful that we carry the good news that we are privileged to bring the good news of the gospel to people who haven't heard. What a wonderful joy and privilege we have and we share. Let's bow in prayer. And Father, give us that motive to just plod on in, in plain ordinary meetings with plain ordinary Christians where we just pray about some plain ordinary missionaries because of the extraordinary good news of Jesus Christ. Help us just to plod on in giving that dollar, in praying, in going, in sending, in encouraging, in writing. Help us just to take the step that we need to take today to help bring the good news to the ends of the earth. We thank you so much for the privilege to be part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take out the hymnal in front of you in the pew?